This is the MedTech Talk Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Tom Salemi. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Jessica Traver. Jessica is the CEO of a company called Intuitap Medical. Intuitap has developed a new system for helping physicians guide needles into the spine when they're doing spinal punctures. It combines imaging, analytics, and a few other ways of making the job simpler and less painful for patients, frankly. So it's uh, it's got a lot of potential. It's one of those... Uh, looks easier than maybe it is kind of solution to a problem that might be overlooked. And uh, it's a great, great success story thus far. It's getting some attention. Jessica and her co-founder were designated as uh, on the 30 under 30 team for healthcare by Forbes magazine, which is a really cool thing. But Intuitive Medical also uh, has uh, won awards and designations from uh, Johnson & Johnson has been given some support by, by many, including J&J, given some space in, uh, in their incubator in Texas. So uh, there's a lot going on for Intuitop. It's getting a lot of accolades, and uh, there's many reasons why. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jessica. She brings a, a unique perspective to MedTech. We talk about how Intuitop came together, where she sees it going, and uh, what she sees uh, as, a, as a future for MedTech, uh, at least from her perspective. So great conversation. Before I let you go, I've mentioned before on the podcast uh, that you might have reason to attend our Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit that's coming up in Boston. On November 30th, digital health is finding its way into every area within healthcare, and uh, MedTech is no exception. So if you want a great overview of what payers and providers are looking for from technology, suggest you check out the agenda for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. It's on healthag.com. Healthag is spelled like the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthag is the producer of the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit and, of course, our MedTech conference, which I mentioned during this podcast. And because you are a valued listener, if you uh, when you register, use the MedTech Talk code, and you'll save yourselves four hundred bucks off of the uh, off of the price. So uh, it's a little bit of a thank you for listening to the MedTech Talk podcast. Now let's get into this conversation with Jessica Traver of Intuitap. All right, well, Jessica Traver, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, a taps an interesting story, and it's one that's that's been well told. And I, and I want to kind of get into uh, into the various multimedia efforts uh, you've sort of taken part in uh, in explaining the story, because because I, I do think medtech needs to tell, do a better job of telling its story, which is one of the reasons why we're doing the podcast. But I first like to start off this conversation with uh, with a simple question: how, how did you find your way into medtech was it uh, was it through the purdue engineering did you go there with, with medtech in mind or was that something you discovered sort of after you hit purdue yeah so i'd always been really interested in healthcare, um and ever since i was young i was interested in medicine and so i knew going into purdue that i had an interest in that and um actually for a while i was pre-med so i was pre-med engineering and engineering. So I was, you know, debating between which one I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. in the end, I realized that I, I really wanted to be on the kind of biomechanics and design side of healthcare. And that kind of led me to medical device design and med tech. What was the, uh, what was the deciding factor? Uh, you just didn't want to be a doctor? Yeah. I mean, it was really, I started to realize that I'm fascinated by kind of the intersection of engineering and uh, medicine. Mm -hmm. And so I really saw myself that even if I was going to go to med school, it'd probably be on the research side. And I really didn't want to be doing like, you know, clinical research in the sense of biologics, et, et cetera. I'd really wanted to be more building things and still being able to um, be a part of the design aspect of things. 
No, it's great. It's a great choice. So at Purdue, uh, t- how did you find your way there? And was the was the biodesign effort there, uh, or is this sort, sort of something fairly new? So biodesign was actually uh, completely different than from uh, than Purdue. So the biodesign fellowship, uh, the one that I was a part of and that this company came out of, was uh, at Texas Medical Center down in Houston. Um, but it's a fellowship that's based off of one that was created at Stanford and has been running at Stanford for probably 15 years now. I think that the biodesign program is an amazing opportunity for anyone who wants to get involved in something in medtech design or device development. Um, it teaches something called needs-based innovation, which I think is extremely important. And so it's a one-year-long fellowship, and the first three to four months of that fellowship is really spent um, observing, m- making observations, clin- performing clinical rotations, and really just looking at some of the issues in the healthcare system and focusing on um, inefficiencies and stuff like that. And so you really spend a lot of time validating and vetting a need before going into product development and design and concept generation, which I think is extremely important. And that's kind of where a lot of startup companies fall short is they haven't spent enough time truly identifying a real need and um, when they try and put a device out on the market, they realize that there is really no demand. And it's an interesting transition because, of course, it used to be that the physicians would kind of kind of come up with the concepts, know an engineer, sort of work together, and, and it would be a lot of the ideas at least would be generated from physicians themselves. But as that mm-hmm. relationship becomes more difficult to maintain because of sunshine laws and such, and business and, and physicians being just so busy, uh, it, it's 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 a great idea to have a sort of a fresh set of eyes like the, the biodesign fellows at Stanford and in Texas sort of go in and, and take a look at things. Because I bet there are a lot of opportunities that simply are missed because we all sort of just kind of accept how things are sometimes and we maybe don't mm-hmm. don't look at it as we should. And and, uh, and I think this is a, a perfect example of that. How did you specifically develop uh, the idea for Intuitap? So we uh, were rotating in a local ER and, um, you know, the people that we were rotating with were aware of why we were there and they were kind of keeping their eyes open to, you know, things that they thought that we should see or, or you know, just keeping us in mind as, as we came through and rotated. And one time when I was there, um, one of the residents I was with said that there was a lumbar puncture case in that day and that I definitely needed to see it. And um, I just remember that that was at the beginning of my shift and uh, we only did about four to six hour shifts. So we weren't doing full on ER shifts like mm. the residents do. Um, but, you know, about an hour later. Or so I asked, Hey, when's the, this LP lumbar puncture going to be done? They're like, Oh yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, we'll do that later at some point. And, and they kept kind of delaying, delaying, delaying. And it became pretty obvious that nobody was really thrilled <laughs> to mm. want to do that. Um, and uh, eventually, when we actually came in to the room to observe, the resident um, had the patient lay down on its side in the fetal position as a standard. And the patient was relatively young, I'd say probably 18 years old or so. And he was not obese by any means, it, you know, a little bit larger, kind of like you know, like a high school football player. You mm-hmm. might see a lineman or something, you know. Um, so... Uh, and I just remember him attempting multiple times, he was pushing his fingers into the patient's back, trying to feel for those vertebrae. 
and would insert a needle and didn't get it right. So he'd reposition, try again, try again, to the point where he had to actually remove the needle, go back to palpating, feeling through that vertebral gap and going again and still couldn't get it. So we then had to call in an attending, wait for the attending to come in, you know, get prepped and everything. And then he tried and he couldn't get it on the first time. And so I just remember thinking this process is just, you know, it's, it's so inefficient. It's so frustrating for everyone involved. You know, there's got to be a better way with all the technology that's at our fingertips now. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the initial spark to what is now Intuitap. So let's get into what, what Intuitap is. What, what it, does your device offer? And, and how did you come up with the, the technology that, that will hopefully solve this problem? Definitely. So our device um, incorporates what's called tactile sensing. Uh, to help the physician visualize the underlying vertebrae. You can think of it as kind of like a stud finder, but for the spine. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how we, we relate it to most people. That works. Um, it's, so it's a handheld device, and you press it up against the patient's back, and you can see the two underlying vertebrae in the form of kind of like a heat map on the screen of our handheld device. And we also have incorporated uh, digital pressure measurement. So that in the ER case, usually once they go in with the needle, they have to use a manometer to measure the opening pressure of the spinal canal for uh, diagnostic purposes. And that whole process is, you know, old school manometers are definitely old school. They're not very accurate and they're kind of a general hassle to handle uh, in this setting. So we've eliminated that. We've got a digital pressure sensor, which in real time reads out the um pressure as you enter the spinal canal. This also can help um, anesthesiologists in the event of knowing where they are in the epidural space because uh, research has shown that as you enter the epidural space, there's a pressure drop. And so with our device, you'll be able to see in real time that that pressure drop has occurred. And you know that in the anesthesiology case, you should not continue to insert the needle um, because you're in the in the actual epidural space. So we'll try to have some links to your site and people will be able to see mm-hmm. the, the device, but let's assume someone's driving in their car and that they're not going to be able to safely do that. Just describe what uh, your device, well, is it called Intuitap or does it have a different name? And what does it look yeah, like? Yeah, it's called Intuitap. Yeah, so it's called Intuitap and it's a small handheld device, um, a little bit larger than an iPhone. And it will have a an array of sensors on the back of it and then a screen um, kind of above that that has the heat map or the um, image of the underlying vertebrae. And then on the other side, you know, the side facing you uh, as you're pressing it up against the patient's back, similarly to a stud finder that has, you know, a marking or you can put a pencil in or whatever to uh, mark where you need to go. We have a needle guide. So we've got a, uh, an opening in the uh, handheld device where you can slide the needle between um, so that you can accurately insert the needle into the proper uh, space. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you see, I'm gonna, I'd like to get into the, the creation of the company in a second, but how do you ultimately, looking at the product, how do you ultimately see this entering the marketplace? Who buys it, uh, who sells it, and, and why? Definitely, so the whole business model surrounding our device is razor, razor blade. So um, we'll have the actual plastic 
handheld component that will have the screen, the microcontroller, you know, the battery inside of it. And then the actual sensing array that we have is single use along with, you know, the other commoditized products um, that are currently used in the trays and kits uh, today. So that's kind of how we see it fitting in is actually our tactile sensing array, as well as some of the other electronic components that we'll hook into our reusable component could be sold as part of some of these disposable kits. Uh, they're already out on the market. So eventually potential, you know, strategic partnerships or, or something like that would look like somebody like a Becton Dickinson or a Cardinal Health, somebody that already has, um, you know, kind of dominates the kit and epidural tray space and wants to include something that can kind of set them apart from the other commoditized products on the market. How did this concept come together? Is it your, were you literally sitting around uh, uh, with some whiteboards, drawing up proposals, ideas? Uh, what was what were the origins of the of the uh, Intuitap device? Yeah, it was exhaustive uh, <laughs> brainstorming. I would say. Um, as part of the fellowship, which was very structured as far as when we could move on from one section to the next, um, they really placed a lot of emphasis on brainstorming. So we didn't just have, you know, three or four brainstorming sessions and then move on with an idea. We spent months brainstorming. And, and that was from looking at the core technology and how we could identify the vertebrae all the way to, you know, how do we ensure proper angle and, you know, human factors and, all the issues that come along with that. So we really started looking at all types of um, imaging modalities that are out there and ways in which people are using new technology to identify underlying you know, structures. So we didn't just look at healthcare. We looked across the board. Um, we looked at stud finders, <laughs> how those work and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And eventually we had a couple that different technologies we ended up testing and we found that tactile sensing worked really well. Um, and it was a simple solution and it was cost effective, which was really important for us because our initial target market is going to be that ER uh, case where, you know, we're trying to be as cost effective as possible. Is tactile sensing, I mean, I, I guess I know what it means without actually exactly knowing what it means. I mean, wh is this a technology taken from another industry or what, how does it work? Describe it, please. Sure. So, Tactile sensing is relatively new to the medical field. It is used in a number of different settings. Um, they're also called pressure sensors. Um, so essentially what, what it does is as these little sensors are being compressed, um, their resistance changes. And we can read that um, out as a voltage and then turn that voltage into, you know, do a lot of signal processing, essentially turn that into the image that we have um, that projects onto our device. So uh, essentially, it's literally feeling what your feet, your fingers are feeling, just uh, with a lot higher resolution. Mm -hmm. And the only um, applications that we've really come across in medicine um, are still relatively new. I'd say within the last five years or so, um, and we've seen that they've mainly been used for breast cancer uh, detection. So yeah, it's very cool. Uh, it's, it's similar to elastography um, in that sense. And so that's really the applications that we've seen it come out and develop in. And so it's still relatively new in, in med tech, which I think is pretty exciting. So was there an, an aha moment where you all sort of circled this one thing as, as what 
what the idea was and, and, and who, who was involved in the, the early start? Sure. So there were four of us that were uh, fellows in the medical device team, and that's the four co-founders of the company who are still together today. And um, one of our engineers, uh, Yashar, um, PhD from University of Michigan, he had worked with tactile sensing briefly in in the past and thought about it and said, hey, maybe maybe this will be an option. And so we had a couple different modalities that we were looking at and built up some basic, basic prototypes to test it on a, spl- a spine block model that we borrowed from one of the local hospitals that they used to train their residents on um, performing these procedures. And tactile sensing just right away was very promising. It, it um, the, or From early on, the prototypes that we tested, they were showing great results. And in the end, it was that based on the knowledge that our team had and the experience that we had um, and skill sets, et cetera, it was the modality that made the most sense, especially when taking into cost and, you know, manufacturability, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, after, after testing, I'd say that's when we really started to realize this, uh, let's move forward with this one. This, we think this will make a lot of sense. Hey, I want to take a quick break from this conversation with Jessica Traver to uh, tell you that the MedTech conference is scheduled for May 31st in Minneapolis. We look forward to seeing you all there. If you have any thoughts or comments about the last MedTech conference or things you'd like to see at the upcoming MedTech conference, feel free to shoot me an email. I'd really love to hear from you. We're gonna, we've are gonna we already started planning. I've been working with our co-chairs, Leslie Trigg and Stacey Enzing Seng already. We've met several times, and uh, we'll be talking to leaders in Minneapolis about the conference next month. So uh, this is a great time to get in your thoughts. Just shoot me an email, tom at healthyg.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. Would love to hear the pros or the cons or whatever you'd like to send along or just say hello. Now back to this conversation. So how did you get to the point of, uh, did you always know this was going to be a company or were you really just trying to develop a product and you didn't know where it would go? When we entered the fellowship, there were no expectations like you have to build a company out of this. Um, I think, you know, Originally, it was, this is a great learning experience, um, kind of similar to what Stanford does in the sense of we just want to train people how to innovate better, more efficiently in such a complex space. Um, but all of us from pretty early on said that, you know, a goal of ours was to find a viable need, turn it into a great solution and move forward with commercializing it. So I'd say, yes, we, we always had hoped that it would turn into a company. So what what was its path? Because I've seen you connected to TMCX. Uh, mm-hmm. Where did this? What, what was the path that this idea and that eventually turned into a company follow? It went from from Stanford to, to Texas. Texas. We started in Texas. We aren't actually affiliated with Stanford. They just launched this fellowship um, modeled after Stanford's um, version of it, and we followed the same textbook and and such. Oh, okay. um, so we started in Texas. We were all brought in, all four of us. Um, there was a digital health cohort as well, which was another four uh, fellows. But my group, um, all four of us were brought in. We'd never met each other before and were put on this team and said, you're focusing on developing a new medical device. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we went through the fellowship. We did the rotations. We did a whole bunch of research, narrowed our list of needs down to top three that we moved then into concept generation for through that process, we were able to eliminate two other needs and ended up with the one that Intuitap is addressing. And um, 
by the end of the fellowship, we had essentially prepared enough that we could go out and pitch this to friends and family, some early stage angel investors, and apply for some business plan competitions. So we had done some very preliminary studies. We had an IRB approved uh, study in which we just tested the accuracy of our device at being able to image the vertebrae and the vertebral gap and compared that to palpation and ultrasound. So there was no needle insertion. It was just testing our core technology, essentially getting a proof of concept. Um, so we went out, we entered into a lot of business plan competitions, pitched to a couple angel investors, eventually got some initial money, went through the Texas Medical Center Startup Accelerator. And during that time was when we really focused on refining some of our uh, go-to-market strategies. So which markets to focus on, you know, there's ER potential, there's labor and delivery is a huge one for epidurals. There's also a very, very large market uh, in the pain management space. Um, so we had to look at the pros and cons of, you know, those markets and decide our launch market, et cetera. And so after that, we actually, at the MedTech conference, when it was originally called Advamed last year, we won uh, the Johnson and Johnson innovation prize. And so we got a year of free lab space at NEJ labs that we wanted. And so we moved into J labs Houston and have been working from there ever since. Interesting. And it's, it's interesting. We mentioned the MedTech conference. Actually our conference is called the MedTech conferences and was called the MedTech conference before Admit so that's a different yeah. that's a different <laughs> podcast. But anyway, <laughs> I did want to eliminate any confusion. So, what is it like? I mean, we're looking for new ways to innovate, not only innovate new technologies, but innovate ways to start med tech, so we can get from point A to the point of exiting or the point of commercialization for less money, more efficiently. How is this? How difficult has this process been? Sort of moving from from accelerator to accelerator and now you're moving to J labs, which I assume will be a nice stable home for, for a time. Is it, was, was there a lot of transition involved? Is this the way that you see this happening in the future for, for future med techs? Describe the process and, and it looks like it's working. Tell me how well it works. Sure. I mean, there is no right way or guideline that you can write out for, you know, startup companies in, med tech. Um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to change and evolve depending on the company. But um, I really do think that uh, these accelerators and the fact that a lot of, you know, these major med tech companies like Johnson & Johnson and Cardinal Health are all starting to put a big focus on startups mm -hmm. and like supporting startups and innovation and having innovation arms. I think it's super new. So they're all still trying to figure out which kind of business model works best for them. And I, but I think it's going to continue to get better as they work with more and more startups. Um, I know that, you know, TMCX gave us a ton of connections to, you know, hospitals, healthcare providers, and, and also reimbursement experts, et cetera, people that you really need in the early stages to help develop your strategy and validate your need and your concept but then also super helpful in later stages when you're actually trying to pilot your device and, and um, get it out there and meet with, you know, procurement specialists and such. And then J labs has been huge for us because we've been able to interact with, you know, some Johnson and Johnson corporate people 
that have backgrounds in, you know, their venture arm or are running their medical device, um, like innovation group. And so they've been able to help us immensely. You know, how do you build up this portfolio that, it, that an acquirer would eventually um, be interested in? So I think that having access to people at these major med tech companies is extremely beneficial. And that's one of the only ways that we really accelerate quickly through this process because, you know, we're, we're new to this. Uh, startups are crazy, fast roller coaster things that just happen. And um, it's, uh, it's really important to have people that have been there and done it and know how the industry works to accelerate us along. Yeah. No, Cause it's kind of crazy. I mean, this is in the old days in med tech, you know, you wouldn't talk to those folks until later in the process after you've probably talked to a traditional VC this almost seems like mm-hmm. a, a melding of a, of a, a digital health model with medtech, and I and I've seen Intuitap sort of identified as, as a digital health product. I'm not quite sure if it's my definition of digital health, and I'm not sure if you see it as a digital health product. But going back to the, the VC side, have you actually talked to an institutional VC about the company, or have you really been able to get by with with the contacts, the very great contacts you've been making uh, outside of the VC world? So we closed a seed round and that was all angel investors. Um, but we have definitely spoken with VCs. We will be opening a series A in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. And through that, we've talked to a couple of um, institutional investors, both on like a strategic investment side, as well as just, you know, normal VCs. Um, so we haven't actually gotten to the point where we're discussing terms or anything like that, but you know, we're on their radar and we'll probably in the next couple of months be having those conversations. So we haven't taken money from VCs yet, but we have had initial conversations with them. I got to think it's nice to go into those meetings though, with, with the knowledge that and the insights gained from having all these conversations directly with, uh, with the, the procurement officers, with the, with the providers, with the strategic. Definitely. Yeah, no, you're definitely ahead of the game. So where do we go from here? You said you raised the the, the million do, the million dollar Series A from Angels. Um, you're you're eyeing a, a Series A. How what does your plan look like? Where does this company go in uh, in two or three years? I don't want to say four or five because <laughs> it seems like you're going at such a quick rate. Uh, I don't know if you can predict that far out. No, uh, two to three years is a great timeline for us. That's what we've really been thinking in terms of um, the next couple of months uh, and with the money that we're going to raise in the Series A, it's really going to be focusing on getting clinical data and putting together a submission to FDA. So we expect to be a class two device, uh, most likely the 510K pathway, um, in which case it's relatively quick approval. So we're actually looking to be on the market within a year to a year and a half. So, and, and last area I just wanted to cover, and I referenced it up top uh, in, in preparing for this conversation, I, I obviously hit the Google machine and, and, and do a search. And you've got several videos, um, several sort of conference presentations that seem to be sort of almost a TED Talk uh, presentation. Uh, how do you, is this, is this part of the, uh, the TMCX sort of program where you, where you put these videos together? Is this something that Intuitap is doing specifically and, and how important is building a buzz uh, around a device like yours and getting the word out through through social media and through i guess non uh through through media channels existing media channels 
Yeah, so that's a tough that's a tough question and a fine line to walk. I'd feel um, we are still pretty early stage, so we getting a buzz is great as far as you know. We have marketing material; people know about us. Investors are interested, physicians are interested, hospitals are interested. Um, but we also don't want to you know announce to the entire world yet. Like every single person should know who we are because you know we still want to be relatively stealth until we're a little bit closer to launch. So <laughs> Stealth has uh, certainly changed these line. days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we actually, you know, we've been fortunate in the fact that we've gotten, because we were part of one of the, well, we were the earliest uh, or the initial fellows to come into this TMC, Texas Medical Center Fellowship. And then also we're in the third medical device startup accelerator class they've ever had. Um, we were lucky enough to get a lot of press as being one of the, you know, newer Houston companies that, you know, actually came from the Houston ecosystem and has gone through this innovative process and an institution that they're trying to build out. So we've gotten a lot of press from, from that. Um, we also, two, uh, myself and one of the other co-founders were named to Forbes 30 and 30 mm-hmm. for healthcare this year. So that gave us a lot of people reached out through that. So Purdue, I went to Purdue. Uh, so they wanted to do a highlight video on us um, as part of their alumni uh, group. And then, you know, one of the other co-founder who made the list was uh, went to Columbia. So they put a big announcement in their newsletters, which has been really great because we've actually gotten a lot of people reaching out, either giving us testimonials about how awful their epidurals were <laughs> Um or hospital system saying, hey, you know, we'd love to collaborate with you and and run some sort of studies uh, when you're ready. So that's the kind of press that's great press right now for us is is really connecting us with people that, um, you know, are key stakeholders. Sure. And I, and I meant to mention the Forbes list in, in my question. So thank you for referencing that. <laughs> Did you... And this will honestly be the final question. The, we had a conversation at our, our MedTech conference, which again is known as the MedTech conference. And it was a conversation about with some uh, uh, some more accomplished CEOs. And my question to them was, would you advise younger people to get in MedTech? And the answers sort of were on a range from yes to no. Did you have any hesitation <laughs> getting into MedTech uh, versus a, you know a true digital health kind of company? Or do you and your peers, I'd like you to sort of if you could speak for the others you're working with as well, do you see opportunity in med tech to find an enriching career? Because it, it's certainly had its its struggles of late, but there's obviously a lot of work to do, and, and you need young younger people like yourselves to get in and get in and get involved. Definitely. So I had always kind of just thought like, yeah, med tech, that's what I'm going to do. You know, either work on like implantable devices or something like that. Um, always, uh, mm-hmm. so I never really thought about it, and then Good. I kind of like dove in. <laughs> but I will say that as I've gone through this process, you, you do realize that there are a lot of hurdles associated with this um, industry that there aren't in any other industry. And obviously there's good reason for that. Um, but I do think that there are ways for innovation in, in the innovation of med tech um, process. So I, I definitely see a fulfilling career. I don't think I'm going to leave the med tech industry. It's just, you know, the thought of starting another medical device startup right after this one is definitely <laughs> intimidating. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's one of the, you know, it's a, it's a great industry in the sense that your work, you can actually see and understand 
how your work will actually impact people's lives. And that's, that's what I love about it. I have to think that, uh, the perspective changes after you, if you were fortunate enough to, to, to see this company become acquired by a larger company, I'm sure there's, a, <laughs> there's a love and a buzz that's created by, by that sensation. At least that's what I'm told. It's a, it's an addictive thing. So. I, I understand that. And there's also, I mean, you know, the first time there's a huge learning curve. <laughs> so, Absolutely. you know, the second time around, I think I'd be a little bit better, a little more efficient. <laughs> <laughs> As we all are. Thanks for taking the time and a tap. Sounds like a, a great, uh, a great technology. And we look forward to, to tracking your story. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Jessica Traver of Intuitap, thank you for joining me on the MedTech Talk podcast. Terrific to hear your startup story and uh, wish you the best of luck going forward. Certainly we'll be tracking your success. Thank you, MedTech Talk podcast listeners, for joining us again. Do me a favor, if you would, shoot me an email. Let me know how I'm doing. Tom at healthedgy.com. the word health followed by letters, egy.com. Track me down on Twitter. I'm at MedTechTom. Would love to hear your thoughts there. I'm tweeting about the Red Sox and MedTech all day long. And finally, uh, give a ranking to your podcast on iTunes. It would be an enormous help. It helps other people find the podcast. And, of course, you could also tell your friends directly about the podcast if you feel they should be listening as well. That's a wrap, everyone. Tune in next week for another tale of innovation on the MedTech Talk podcast.